There's an old fable about a certain poor woodcutter lived out in the woods, and he was known in the local town as being an honest man, a man of integrity. But he was out chopping wood by the river one day, and he accidentally dropped his axe, and it fell into the fast-moving river, and there was no way that he was going to be able to retrieve it. Well, a certain river fairy came by and showed him a solid silver axe and asked that woodcutter the question, is this your axe? And he looked at it and he said, no, that's not my axe. Then she presented him with a solid gold axe. He knew this would be worth more money than he would ever make in his lifetime. She asked him the question, is this your axe? And he looked at it and said, no, that's not my axe. And then she presented him with a third axe. It was beaten up. The wood handle was chipped and gnarled, splinters in certain parts of it. The axe head was rusted in certain spots and the blade was dull. She showed it to him and asked, is this your axe? And the woodcutter responded, yes, that's my axe. And she said, I had heard about your honesty and integrity. Because you have told me the truth when no one was watching, I'll not only give you your axe back, I'll give you the other two as well. What a wonderful little fable. Written, I'm sure, not by a Christian, but by someone who understood well that hypocrisy is a terrible thing. And so as we dive into Matthew chapter 6 today and pick up where we left off just a few weeks ago, we're going to be looking once again at Jesus' focus on prayer. That fable reminds us that even non-Christians have a difficulty with hypocrisy. In the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus highlights three acts of righteousness, three religious deeds that every religious leader in his day carried out. We looked a few weeks ago at the first of those religious acts, which was giving to the poor. The second was prayer. We began to look at that about three weeks ago, and we'll continue our look at prayer today. And then finally, he takes a look at fasting. Every Pharisee in Jesus' day carried out all three of those religious acts on a regular basis. But the problem was... The Pharisees carried all three of these out with a certain level of hypocrisy. Uh, Yes, they would give to the poor, but remember, they would do this standing on the street corners for everybody to see. They were saying, look at me, look at me. I am such a kind and generous person. And then when it came to prayer, they would do much the same thing. They would stand in the synagogues with their arms lifted high, and they'd be belting out these long, eloquent prayers to God not for the sake of praying to God, but for the sake of people to look at them and and say, wow, what an amazing prayer. And they would do the same thing on the street corners at rush hour. Hey, I'm praying loud to God. Look at me, look at me. And Jesus, here in Matthew 6, addresses hypocrisy. In verse 1, at the top of this chapter, he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then in verse 2, Jesus tells us that when we're doing our good deeds, we shouldn't act like hypocrites. Remember that in ancient Greece, a hypocrite was someone that was in a stage play, someone that was wearing a mask and pretending to be someone that they weren't. 
And Jesus latches on to this word hypocrite, a play actor, someone that's going through the motion, someone who's a pretender. He latched on to this word, and that's the one he uses here to describe the to describe the Pharisees. And he uses it several times to describe them. They were mask wearers. They were play actors. On the outside, they pretended to be merciful and compassionate to the poor, but on the inside, they were self-absorbed and indifferent. On the outside, they acted like prayer warriors, but on the inside, they weren't really interested in having a meaningful conversation with God. And in verses 5 through 8, as we saw several weeks ago, Jesus teaches us that the wrong way to pray is to pray in a way that makes you the center of attention. And the right way to pray is to pray discreetly and privately, motivated by a heartfelt desire to spend quality time with your Father in heaven. He points out the wrong way and the right way to pray. And this morning, as we pick up in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, I hope you're already there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is still highlighting this second act of righteousness. He's already dealt with giving to the poor. Now he has this extended section of dealing with prayer. Most Christians call it the Lord's Prayer, what we'll look at today, beginning in verse 9. Uh, some call it the Disciples' Prayer. But whatever you call it, it's important to understand that Jesus isn't concerned with us repeating this prayer word for word. Even a magnificent prayer like this one can become meaningless babbling if we are just rotely uh, praying it word for word, without really feeling it, without really thinking about what we're praying, without really meaning it. This prayer is a guide. It offers us a roadmap for powerful, life-changing conversations with God. I'm calling today's message, Pray Like Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse 9 this morning. I'll read for you the entire Lord's Prayer, but our main focus will be verses 9 and 10. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May God bless us as we study his word today and as we apply it to our lives for his glory. Before we take a closer look at verses 9 and 10, I want to point out a few insights that I think we all need to understand as we dive into this Lord's Prayer and try to grasp what Jesus is teaching us. So I'll move through these rather quickly. Four insights I want to share with you. Insight number one, the Lord's Prayer is at the center of the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is kind of interesting trivia here, but there's a, a point to this little trivia. It's in the middle. There are 56 verses before the start of the Lord's Prayer and 48 verses after it. And so Jesus puts it in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And I ask you the question, do you think he put it in the center of the greatest sermon of all time for a reason? And of course, the answer is 
Absolutely. Of course he did it for a reason. Now, I want you to remember what Jesus taught the towns that he went to, especially in his first year or two of ministry. In Matthew 4, verse 17, before he even preached the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the writer of Matthew tells us that Jesus' message as he went from town to town boiled down to this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was his message in a nutshell. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Heaven, remember, isn't just some far-off place that we go to after we die. Jesus teaches us that heaven is here, now. Heaven has already begun to invade earth through Jesus. And as we follow Christ, heaven invades earth through us as well. And the Sermon on the Mount teaches us as followers of Christ how to bring heaven into our little corner of the world. Amen? How to bring it into our little corner of the world. And the Lord's Prayer is at the center of Jesus' instruction on how to bring heaven to our corner of the world. Well, that's insight number one. The Lord's Prayer is at the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, insight number two, the Lord's Prayer... The Lord's Prayer is short. <laughs> it's short. It's only five verses long. So what is that telling us? Well, it's telling us that prayers don't have to be long-winded to connect with God and produce results. Amen? It's a great little insight. Insight number three. You will not find the first person singular pronouns, I, me, or my, in the Lord's Prayer but only the plural pronouns, we, us, and our. Now, some of you are double-checking me to make sure this is accurate. That's great. You're supposed to test what I say with the Word of God. Make sure that's true. Look for yourselves in those verses. You will not find those first-person personal pronouns, I, me, or my. They're just not there. So even though this prayer can serve as a model for personal prayer, its scope is much broader than me, myself, and I, isn't it? It's much broader. It doesn't focus on individual players on the field. It focuses on the whole team. This prayer is not focused on me and God. It's a prayer focused on us and God. Amen? Keep that in mind. It's a prayer focused on us and God. Now, insight number four. I'll spend a little bit longer on this insight. The Lord's Prayer contains six requests. The first three directly address God and his kingdom. You'll find those in verses 9 and 10. The second three petitions in this prayer address our specific needs as Christ's followers. We do find those first three prayer requests in verses 9 and 10. And those three prayer requests in those two verses are, Hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come. And number three, may your will be done. The next three prayer requests are in verses 11 through 13. Prayer request number four, give us today our daily bread. Number five, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And number six, lead us not into temptation. Now let's take a few minutes to take a closer look at this amazing prayer model, particularly the first three prayers uh, that he gives us. But you look at this prayer model 
And it's really a remarkable thing. Once again, Jesus didn't intend for us to pray this word for word as some sort of liturgy week in and week out without really thinking about what we were praying. It was a guide to teach us how to pray. In verse 9, the prayer begins with the two words, Our Father. We're going to stop there for just a moment. Our Father. Believe it or not, these two words reveal a lot about this amazing prayer. For starters, these two words, Our Father, reveal that this model prayer is designed for believers and followers of Jesus Christ and not for anyone else. Okay? If that stings a little bit, I'm sorry, it's the truth. This prayer is not designed for non-Christians. It's designed for believers and followers of Jesus Christ who are serious about following him. You've probably heard people say, uh, we are all God's children. We're all God's children. But the Bible disagrees with that. This statement, we are all God's children, is not biblically true. The Bible makes it clear, it teaches that we are all creations of God. To all of us, he is our creator. But just because we're creations of God doesn't mean that we are sons and daughters of God. And just because he's our creator doesn't mean that he is our father. For most people on earth, it is true that they are not children of God and he is not their father in heaven. I want to give you a few examples from scripture that this this childhood, this sonship, this daughtership only comes to Christians through Jesus Christ. You look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, Yet to all who received him, Christ, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice they become children of God once they trust in him, once they believe in his name. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Look at this next scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of, see that word, sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then finally, Galatians three twenty six and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, the first two words of the Lord's Prayer make it clear that it's intended for God's children. It's only for those whom Christ has saved. A a non-Christian can pray this prayer a hundred times a day, and it's meaningless until the point at which that person places his or her saving faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And chooses to begin walking in obedience to his word. Well, when you think about it, there's no way that a a non-Christian would agree with all the different six requests in this prayer. They might agree with, give me my daily bread. But if you just look at the first three even, there's no way that a a non-believer, a non-Christian would truly mean these parts of the prayer. When you think about it, why would any non-Christian lift up this prayer, oh God, may your name be hallowed. Why would a non-Christian do that? Why would a non-Christian be interested in praying, uh, your will be done, or praying, uh, your kingdom come? They wouldn't, honestly. 
The prayer begins with these two powerful words, our Father. But then Jesus adds two more words, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Why does Jesus add these two words? Well, some Bible scholars point out that Christians have a tendency to kind of sentimentalize God when he's referred to as our Father. Some would kind of equate him with an earthly father or a grandfather figure. Some would go as far off the deep end as to just consider him kind of like a cosmic Santa Claus. And so some Bible scholars think Jesus was very careful to use this title, Our Father in Heaven, to make it clear that God is not simply a father representing a great love for you and me, but he's also king of heaven, making it clear that he is a God who is holy and powerful. So you take these together, our Father in heaven. And Jesus wants us to understand as we pray this prayer or a prayer like it, as we pray to God, we must keep in our minds and our hearts these truths. God, yes, he is love. That's why he is called Father. But he is also holy and he is also powerful. All three of those must be kept in mind. God is love, God is holy, and God is powerful. Now, after addressing God as our Father in heaven, in verse 9, Jesus lifts up the first of his six prayer requests. Now, we're going to focus on the first three today, the first three prayer requests, but let's spend a few moments on the first one because it's so foundational to this entire prayer. Jesus' first prayer request is this. Hallowed be your name. Say that with me. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a word that we use every day. Uh, the closest word to it in English that we use a lot in our nation is the word Halloween. <laughs> and Halloween is, is kind of not even in the ballpark of what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word Hallowed here. So what on earth does hallowed mean? Well, it comes from the same Greek word as the word holy, which, as you might remember, means to be set apart. To be holy means to be set apart. So for God, to be holy means to be set apart from sin, set apart from creation because he is not created. He is the creator, set apart from everything else in the universe. He is holy. He is set apart. To be hallowed means to be regarded as holy. It means to be set apart from everything else. Now, with that in mind, here's how several other English translations have translated this first petition in the Lord's Prayer. The New Century Version says it this way, Our Father in heaven, may your name always be kept holy. That's pretty good, isn't it? How about the Living Bible? Our Father in heaven, we honor your name, your holy name. And then finally, the contemporary English version says it this way, Our Father in heaven, help us to honor your name. These are helpful to help us understand what Jesus is, is getting at with this first prayer request. Now, these are all good translations of this first prayer request. But if we draw the conclusion that following, or I should say, hallowing God's name is just a matter of regarding God as holy in our minds, I believe we've missed Jesus' point. You can't just regard him as holy in your thoughts and in your mind. 
Quick example, remember early in Jesus' ministry, he was in a synagogue in Capernaum and a demon-possessed man screamed out to him in the middle of the service. And that demon-possessed man cried out to Jesus and he said this, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now let me ask you, was that demon confessing the truth about Jesus? Yes, he was. Jesus is the Holy One of God, right? He is set apart. He's the Holy One of God. So he, in a sense, was praying this first prayer. Hallowed be your name. He's acknowledging that God's name, and in that case, Jesus' name, was holy and set apart. But how did Jesus respond to that demon after that demon said, you are the Holy One of God? You remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus basically said, shut up. It's right there. He says, be quiet. Keep your mouth shut, demon. I don't need you talking that kind of stuff because you're a demon. Now, that demon was speaking the truth, but Jesus didn't want that mouth declaring a truth about God that the heart did not support. You catch that? He doesn't want the mouth to be proclaiming a truth that the heart doesn't support and live out. If our hearts are not engaged, if our hearts don't mean it, God's ears don't want to hear it. And so Jesus basically told that demon to shut up. Now, let me give you a few synonyms for hallow as Jesus is using the word here in the Lord's Prayer. I think these synonyms will shed some light on Jesus's prayer. They've really helped me a lot. I I think they'll help you as well. Hallow means to revere, to honor to esteem, to value, to treasure, and don't miss that last one, and to love. Isn't that good? Let those sink deeply into your mind and heart. When you say, hallowed be your name, you are wanting God's name to be revered, to be honored, to be esteemed, to be valued. You want his name to be treasured. You want his name to be loved. So allow those words to sink in. Uh, Jesus' first petition in this great prayer model goes kind of like this. Our Father in heaven, we want your name to be revered here on earth. We want your name to be honored among us. We desire to esteem and value your name more than any other name in the world. O glorious Father in heaven, we want to treasure you as the highest priority in our lives and love you with all of our hearts. We want to treasure you. We want to love you. Do you see what it means to pray, hallowed be your name, O God? Hallowed be your name. If we are just praying with our mouths and not with our hearts, our prayers will always be shallow and weak. But our prayers come alive when they are prayed from a heart that truly desires for God to be honored and valued and treasured and loved here on earth just as he is honored and valued and loved in heaven. Notice those seven amazing words at the end of verse 10. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth As it is in heaven. This beautiful little phrase is connected to each of Jesus' first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is praying that the Father's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. 
He is praying that the Father's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And he is praying that the Father's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, let's take a, a closer look now at Jesus' second and third requests. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Once you understand that Jesus is preaching boiled down to this simple message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And once you understand what it means to truly pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, the second and third prayer requests in the Lord's prayer make perfect sense. Keeping in mind that Jesus was all about expanding God's kingdom on earth, And he was all about hallowing and glorifying and treasuring and honoring and esteeming and loving the mighty name of God. Once you understand that, these second and third requests do make perfect sense. The second petition really touches on two things. The second petition is your kingdom come. It touches on two things. First, it it focuses on Jesus' present kingdom today here on earth. His present kingdom today, expanding today. Remember that as Jesus walked this earth, whenever uh, he would go somewhere, wherever he went, he, he took some of the best parts of heaven with him, didn't he? He took some of the best parts of heaven everywhere he went. He would take the mercy of heaven and he would just spread that mercy everywhere he went. He would take the grace of heaven and the forgiveness of heaven and the healing power of heaven. He took it with him wherever he went. Second chances was our focus last week. Jesus was distributing second chances left and right everywhere he went. He was distributing some of the very best things of heaven here on earth. So when we pray, your kingdom come, what we should mean by this is, O Father in heaven, Because our hearts long for you to be revered and honored and esteemed and valued and treasured and loved, we ask that you expand your kingdom wherever we go. This world we live in has pushed you away long enough, Father. You deserve so much better than this world has given you. So, Father, won't you expand your kingdom in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our church Everywhere we go, loving Father, grow your kingdom through us. Wow, what a powerful prayer. Jesus came and he spread some of the best things of heaven everywhere he went. And never forget that you are to bring those same best things of heaven to your little corner of the world today. This second petition doesn't simply, though, focus on God's kingdom expanding today it also focuses on jesus's future future kingdom that one day will cover the entire earth in the second petition jesus is urging us to be forward thinking to be saying like john says at the end of the book of revelation come lord jesus come we we need you to come back and and set up your earthly perfect kingdom once and for all this world is so full of sin and so full of heartache and pain so come lord jesus set up your permanent kingdom here on earth every christian wants to see christ's kingdom expand in their little corner of the world today but at the same time we long for that day when his kingdom will be permanently established and will cover the earth as christ's disciples we are determined to expand jesus's kingdom today But at the same time, we do long for that day 
when he'll set up that kingdom that will have perfect peace and perfect righteousness and he'll restore this old world to how God originally intended it to be. Well, that's Jesus' second prayer request, your kingdom come. His third prayer request in these first couple verses of the Lord's Prayer is your will be done. This petition really does go hand in hand with the prior one as God's kingdom is established. His will must be done, right? If you're setting up God's kingdom in your home and in your marriage and in our church, wherever you go, you must be obeying his will. Those two go hand in hand. We want God's will to be done in the White House, but first God's will must be done in our house. Amen? We want God's will to be done in his kingdom to expand in our neighbor's backyard, but first his will must be done and his kingdom must expand in our own backyard. God wants to make sure that we are truly taking heaven wherever we go and expanding his kingdom and doing his will, not just praying for others to do it, but making sure we're doing it ourselves. You see how with each of these petitions, we are asking God to partner with us, to hallow his name, to usher in his kingdom and carry out his will. If you and I aren't willing to roll up our sleeves and work with God to make it so in our own lives and in our own families and in our own church, our words in our prayers are empty. Like faith, prayer without works is dead. Let that sink in. Prayer without works is dead. We must make sure that when we pray something, we are working with God to bring about that answer to prayer. When we're willing to surrender our treasuring of ourselves to our treasuring of God, when we're ready to scrap our own kingdom in order to expand God's kingdom, when we're prepared to push aside our will in order to carry out God's will, you had better believe that God will answer those prayers. Amen? The 19th century theologian Robert Law said it so well. He said this, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Oh, never forget that. Prayer is more about God getting his will done on earth than you getting your will done in heaven. God will transform you. He will change you through your prayers. We have no right to ask God for anything that will dishonor his name or delay his kingdom or disturb his will on earth. If you're like many Christians, at times in your life you've wondered, how come my prayers seem to just bounce off the ceiling? It seems like God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, from what we've been talking about over the next few minutes, you may have the answer to your questions. Why do your prayers seem to not be answered? Why do they seem to bounce off the, the ceiling? Well, first of all, ask yourself, are my prayers more about I and me and myself? Or are they more about us and our? Are my prayers more about me or are they more about this team we call the church? our community of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Next, ask yourself, could it be that my prayers have been about building my own kingdom more than building Christ's kingdom? Next, ask yourself, could it be that my prayers have been more about getting my will done in heaven instead of getting God's will done through me here on earth? 
Well, next Sunday, we'll take a closer look at the next three requests in this amazing Lord's Prayer. I don't want you to miss next week because we've just covered the first half of this prayer. And those next three requests will dovetail so beautifully with what we've looked at in these first three requests in verses 9 and 10. In the meantime, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. It's really important to carry out. I want you to carry this out every day this week. As you pray, as you're praying by yourself, as you're praying with your family, as you're praying with other Christians, wherever you are praying, here is your assignment. I want you to make these three adjustments to your prayers. Number one, pray more we than me prayers. Can you do that this week? Bear in mind that this Lord's Prayer that serves as a model for our prayers, there's not the mention of the singular pronoun I, me, or uh, myself a single time. It's not there. These are we, our type of prayers. And so pray more we than me prayers. Number two, pray for God's name to be treasured and loved by you and by those around you. This is such a foundational part of this prayer, that first request, hallowed be your name. Pray prayers like this. Oh God, I pray that I would treasure and honor and esteem your name today and help my spouse and help my kids and help my grandkids to love and, and respect and honor and esteem and treasure your name as well. Number three, pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in your little corner of the world. God, I come to you and I, I confess that my prayers oftentimes have been more about trying to get you to do what I want than being about getting myself to align with what you want. God, would you just adjust my prayers? Help me to pray more for the glory of God. Help me to pray for the building of your kingdom, not my own kingdom. Help me, O oh God, this week to pray that your will would be done even if I'm not interested and I don't feel like doing it. <laughs> I pray that I'll do it anyway because more than anything else, I want to please you. I'm a believer and follower of Jesus Christ and I want to follow you well. Would you do these th three things this week? More we prayers than me prayers. Secondly, pray for God's name to be treasured and loved by you and those around you. And number three, pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in your life and in your little corner of the world. Would you do that this week? God will bless those kinds of prayers. I guarantee it. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are our Abba, Daddy in heaven. You are the God of love, but we confess that you're also the God of holiness, perfectly set apart from sin and set apart from creation. And you are powerful. In fact, the Bible says you are all powerful. There is nothing in the universe that can be done except for sin that you yourself can't do. Thank you, God. And we come to you right now and we confess, Lord, that our prayers have been so me-centered at times. Please forgive us. Help us, God, to hallow your name. Help us, O oh God. Help us, Father, to esteem to respect, to sanctify, to, to treasure and to love your name. Help us, Lord, 
to expand your kingdom in our little corner of the world. Help us to be ready at a moment's notice to spread the the love and the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of heaven everywhere we go. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done in our lives here on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, for your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is such an important message, and I hope and I pray that you'll take that challenge seriously and carry out that little homework assignment, and you won't be doing it alone. I plan on doing it with you this week. Well, if you've never made a decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may have prayed this prayer word for word hundreds of times And you realize today that it's been rather meaningless because you never had a relationship with God. The Lord's Prayer will not get you into heaven. The Lord's Prayer is for those who have already been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and have asked him to come into their lives and wash them clean and allow them to have that relationship with God. If you've never made that decision, I hope you'll make the decision today. The letter A reminds us to admit that we are sinners. B reminds us to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that we desperately need him. And C reminds us of the word choose. We choose to follow Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord beginning today. If you're ready to accept him, I encourage you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors right now. Their numbers are on the bottom of the screen. You can call or text. Let them know that you want to accept Jesus Christ today. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you and help you get right with God today. And if you're ready to be baptized, to let the world know you're serious about following Christ from this point forward, let them know that as well. And we'd love to talk to you about getting baptized. God bless you. And if you've already made that decision to accept Christ, I invite you right now to join me as we take communion together. Jesus on that last night before he was arrested, had his final supper with his 12 disciples. One of them, the traitor Judas Iscariot, ran out on him partway through the meal, but uh, that wasn't by Jesus' doing. So Jesus, with the disciples that were in the room, he took the bread and he said, this represents my body broken for you. And he said, whenever you come together, take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the juice after the meal. It was wine for him. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, once again, we ask for your mercy and grace. Help us to partner with you in hallowing the Father's name. To treasure and love it. Help us to partner with you to spread your kingdom wherever we go. Help us to partner with you to do your will this week and not our own will. Forgive us when we've done what we wanted to do and rebelled against your commands. Help us this week to do what you would have us do for the glory of God. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope this message has touched your heart like it's touched mine, because uh, I tell you, when I prepare for these messages, it is a beautiful thing to spend hours diving into God's word and gleaming the insights of other Bible scholars and pastors who have gone before me. It's so enriching for my soul and spirit 
So this message has touched me, and I hope it's touched you as well. Let's hallow the name of God. Let's work together to spread his kingdom in our corner of the world, and let's work together to have his will done on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you. We'll see you next week.